Hello and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, John. Uh, another week, uh, you know, another week worth of football we get to talk about. I'll take it. Yeah, we're, we're inching closer and closer to the real fun stuff, too, as far as the NFL and even, you know, spring practice here in college. But, you know, we'll touch on something that you actually got to got to do today, and that's uh, speak with Deej Galt of, uh, of Penn State's strength and conditioning staff. Obviously, uh, he's the head of things over there, and he met with the media, I, I think, for, you know, over half an hour today, had a, had a nice long session. You guys actually got to watch, uh, you know, guys work out. I wasn't there, but... You know, just from a, a, an overall standpoint, what were your main takeaways from, from the lifting and from talking to Deej? Uh, well, my overall takeaway from watching the uh, weightlifting and, and conditioning session is that watching weightlifting and conditioning is, is very boring. But, uh, but no, I mean, we, we were able to kind of see how things worked. We were able to watch the guys work out for about an hour. And the most valuable part of it was, was just being able to, to talk to Dwight Galt a little bit. But um, you know, some of the observations I made, it was uh, kind of the, the max out squat day. So uh, I'd say there was probably about a third of the team was was there for that session. Um, the thing that caught my eye the most probably was um, safety CJ Holmes uh, maxed out at 425 pounds, which, um, you know, for the guys we were seeing, um, you know, for comparison's sake, uh, defensive tackle PJ Mustafer maxed out at 435. Um, PJ Mustafer, much bigger of a person than safety C.J. Holmes. So, you know, that was definitely interesting to see. Uh, you know, Zach Kuntz uh, had 405 pounds he maxed out at as well. Uh, Blake Zlar, excuse me, a uh, rising uh, redshirt freshman, offensive lineman, uh, you know, 495 pounds. So, you know, those were observations we were able to make. But, you know, talking to strength coach Dwight Gold, who I want to say, John, his official title is an assistant athletic director who serves as the director of performance enhancement but herein shall be referred to as the strength coach because that's a stupid title that's way too long. He's the damn strength coach. Those are the so, titles that get your raises. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Penn State has roughly 60 assistant athletic directors, and that is not a joke. That, that's for real. But, but anyway, um, you know, he, he was able to talk about uh, the fact that for, for those who aren't familiar, Penn State has three tiers. You know, tier three is the best, tier two, tier one. And the goal is that, hey, the best of the best get to be that tier three you know, eventually that's what you want to work toward, um, where you want to be the top in essentially every category. And, you know, every year since he's been here, that number's gone up and up and up. And this year, that number's at 23 now, um, you know, which is pretty darn good. And, you know, there are a few takeaways here. Uh, maybe let's just go over, you know, three of the things that I think, um, you know, people should be aware of from, from this media availability. And, and number one was just the fact that he said that both quarterbacks, Will Levis and Sean Clifford, they don't need to be tested anymore. They are exactly where they want to be. They're hitting every number that he wanted to see them hit, that, that from now on for the rest of their careers, um, they're, they're really going to try to give their shoulders a rest and more so rely on velocity, rely on speed. They want them to you know, get those numbers up and focus on that rather than the weightlifting aspect. So um, you know, he really thought that they were kind of molding their bodies to where they needed them to be. So you know, that's great news for Penn State and, you know, having that dual threat, you know, quarterback moving forward. Um, another thing I thought was really interesting was just how, how much Dwight Galt emphasized the strides that some of these players have made. And, and by that, I mean, um, you know, you take a look at Journey Brown, who, you know, he's number one now on the list of, of top 40s by a running back. His 40 was 4.29 seconds last year, um, you know, beating out Saquon Barkley's 4.33. 
you know, but he's also been really, really strong. Uh, you know, according to Galt, uh, he can bench 395 pounds now, which that's almost double his weight. I mean, he weighs 211 now. Um, I think he came in at 207 at the start of last season. So, I mean, when you bench almost 400 pounds and you're a little over 200, yeah, that, that, that's pretty darn good. Um, that, that, that's the type of games that um, Galt likes to see over the course of a career. And, you know, Brown has had it. He hasn't even been on campus for a full three years yet. So that's pretty incredible. Um, uh, his, his squat was about 500 pounds, which, which is also, you know, pretty rare. You know, Journey Brown's is. And, you know, he said Journey Brown's just has that blue-collar work ethic that, you know, he's just in the weight room, you know, every single day, every single week, every single month, um, just punching the clock. And, you know, that's what's made him this good. He said Pat Fryermuth is is kind of similar. And, and Fryermuth's numbers, uh, yeah, I'm sure you're not going to be surprised. Also, pretty darn good. So uh, let me see if I can find Pat's. Yeah, 380 on the bench, power clean of 350, squatting 540. That's, yeah, you know, those are all American type numbers. Um, and of course, one other thing we learned, uh, Jason Owe has had some, some shoulder issues by the way Dwight Gall talked. He's not going to be fully back until the summer. You know, obviously, you know, Penn State by now, they're not going to tell us a whole lot about injuries. But because of that, he was on his own program, um, you know, this offseason so far. So uh, we might not really, you know, get to get a sense of, of where he's at uh, until the summer. We'll certainly see this spring uh, how much, if at all, um, he practices. But, but I bring that up because right now Penn State is focusing more on Micah Parsons. They, they've moved away more from the strength. They're focusing on the speed. Last year, those two had some epic foot races. Uh, Jason Owe had a 4-3-3-40. Micah Parsons had a 4-4-3. So, you know, this, this offseason, Dwight Galt mentioned, it should be pretty epic to watch those two go at it on the field uh, when it comes to those foot races. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. We'll, we'll touch on all three things you mentioned there. But first, the, as far as Levis and Clifford, I think it's pretty interesting that those guys aren't sort of maxed out athletically, but they're already where they need to be. And that sort of gives them time to just focus on the quarterback play. You don't have to focus on athleticism. You don't have to focus on strength. You're where you want to be. And then and then it's just about playing quarterback. And and I get, you know, some people say, oh, it should always just be about playing quarterback. But in modern college football and modern football in general, you want these guys to be really good athletes. You don't want a statue back there. So I think it's a positive sign for Penn State that these guys are, are, aren't that, that they aren't statues, that they're capable of being, you know, uh, elite athletes at the position. You know, not elite athletes overall in the football field, but as far as quarterbacks are concerned, that's, that's really important. Uh, and then, you know, you touched on Journey Brown a little bit there. And, and I, I mean, I've, I really think he's going to have a massive year this coming year. And I think these numbers sort of oh, continue to point really to Really going out on a limb yeah, there, no, Sauber. <laughs> when I say – we'll, we'll, I'll go on a limb a little bit here. I think he has a chance to be drafted in the first round next year if he puts up the numbers that I think he's capable of. If you insist on me going out on the limb, I will gladly go stand out on that limb, uh, even if I'm by myself. I think this kid's a potential first-round pick. He's got every athletic gift in the book. And you mentioned the strides he's making. I think that's a product of him not going to a, a football factory in high school. You know, he went to a, a smaller school in Pennsylvania, a place that, you know, isn't necessarily equipped to have these big-time athletes who move on to high-level Division One programs. So then a guy who's already a supreme athlete moves on to the college level and suddenly explodes athletically and in the gym because he hasn't had any refined training. So he's basically starting from scratch. And we're seeing that with Journey. 
And, you know, the 429 is an incredible time. And I know people like to point to these times and say all pro days and stuff are never accurate. We've seen in the past guys at Penn State, especially under James Franklin, their testing numbers at Penn State tend to convey pretty well to what they end up doing at the Combine. I think their their times are about as accurate as you're going to find at, at you know, an in, in-house of a college football program. They're as accurate as you're going to see that a, you know, a, a an internal operation will take, uh, you know, it, rather than, you know, they, an electronically timed combine one. I think it's really impressive that these guys are hitting these numbers athletically that, that like I said, the 429 for Journey sticks out quite a bit. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he ran low four threes at the combine when he's there, uh, you know, whenever that may be, probably after next season. Uh, and, and then the last thing you mentioned uh, with Micah Parsons, I do think it's interesting that that they're they're not looking for for strength as much as they are for speed, uh, you know. And and I think that's really important because he's a guy who's already so strong, he's already so athletically gifted that you just want to see him continue to get faster, continue to fly around the field. Uh, but yeah, th- those three things I think of the vets are, are really important. But these vets weren't the only ones there. There are also new guys on campus. There are early enrollees that just came onto campus in early January. And, you know, I think it's important to see how those guys are doing as well because they're the ones that they're sort of fresh. They, they haven't had time in the program. You could have a potential Journey Brown, someone who makes big strides. So of the enrollees, early enrollees that you saw today, who impressed you most? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, John, because uh, that was something that Dwight Galt was asked. And he mentioned three guys right off the bat. And, and I'll save the best for last year. But um, he mentioned Enzo Jennings, a safety who, you know, he said has adapted well. He, he had a, a lot to say about um, offensive guard Nick Dotkins, who, who, you know, yeah, was just a three-star prospect. But, you know, a lot of people are, you know, really excited about his potential. And you know, he got attention from a lot of schools. Um, so, um, you know, with him... Um, Galt said that he's a low-key guy, but he's one of those, you know, he brings it every day, and the improvement he's made over seven and a half weeks has been, you know, absolutely great. They said he's very mature, um, you know, he's a great influence already as a true freshman, but the, the, the guy I think that, that Penn State fans should be excited about, and John, um, I'm kind of delaying the lead here, but, but we've talked about him before, it's wideout Keandre Lambert, and this is a guy who, who we've talked about, John, back in December, as thinking that he would already have an immediate impact. I mean, again, he's, um, you know, related to, to Cam Chancellor, um, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, former Pro Bowl safety. I mean, you know, this guy is just oozing with athleticism and potential. And when he came into Penn State seven and a half weeks ago, he was benching 230 pounds. Now he's up to 280 already. I mean, that's, in the words of Dwight Galt, quote, darn impressive. I mean, he, you know, Galt mentioned he's explosive horizontally, vertically. He's just done an incredible job so far. And, um, you know, again, uh, even if you're a super athlete, Saquon Barkley came in. uh, He didn't come from a big high school like Journey Brown either. He added 70 pounds to his bench press in about an eight-week span, you know, which is, again, unprecedented, but, but he's a pretty unprecedented athlete. So Keandre Lambert doing 50 already. I mean, we're not quite in the Saquon Barkley territory, but, you know, that, that, that is worth watching. I mean, this is a guy we thought was going to be exciting before. And, you know, after the strides he's made already, um, you know, I, I think that uh, the reason for that offseason excitement is, is kind of being validated as we speak. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think the biggest thing for him coming in was always going to be adding strength, adding weight, proving that he's not sort of you know going to be too thin to play at this level. And if he's already adding that sort of strength to his game with the, the quick twitchiness that we've seen, his, his three-cone shuttle time is, is wildly impressive. I, I believe it was Olympic uh, you know, level three shuttle time, which uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. But again, a really, really impressive athlete, fantastic in and out of his cuts on routes. He's a sharp route runner already, and he just really needed to add strength. And I talked about a guy in Parker, Washington, who won't enroll until this summer as being the one yeah. that you want to watch coming in. Lambert, because he's in early, has a chance to surpass him and has a chance to make an impact that Washington can't early on because he's he's already here. He's already in State College. He's already making those improvements. And, and honestly, I think that's the biggest advantage you can have at the wide receiver position, especially with a new position position coach being the one tracking all of this. I think it's hard to envision with what we know thus far about Lambert, him not making an impact of some sort this year. I'm not saying he's going to be the best wide receiver on the team. I'm not even saying he's going to be the second best wide receiver on the team, but I'm saying that it's easy to see him making an impact come the fall and and the weight gains are, are a huge positive sign toward that. And, and like you said, these, we've seen, we've seen gains like this in the past, but for a guy at this position at a position of need, and in a spot where this is his biggest weakness, I think it is an incredibly positive sign for him the rest of the rest of the spring. And honestly, he's now a guy that I'm going to be watching very, very closely as closely as we head into spring practice and into the blue white game. Yeah. You know, we talked about, I mean, you mentioned Parker Washington, you know, I absolutely agree with you in terms of my pick was Keandre Lambert. Parker Washington was my number two, but now, you know, I think if you're looking at off season receivers to watch, those guys are easy one to however you want to order them. But yeah, the fact that, Keandre Lambert, this is pretty much exactly what you wanted to see from him. This is the this is kind of a best case scenario. I don't I don't know how it could be, you know, better for Keandre unless he lowered his 40 time by a full second. I mean, you know, this is realistic. It's it's good. And yeah, I, I think this should be an interesting spring for Penn State now. Yeah, and, and I think if there was one position you wanted to hear about there being a, a standout, someone someone young really stepping forward, it was it was quarterback first and it was wide receiver second. And you were never going to hear anything overly positive about the quarterbacks because they're not throwing. So out of the lifting, you just want to hear a wide out step up. You want to hear a wide out take their game to the next level. And it looks like Lambert's put himself in a position to do that. Uh, were there any other guys that stood out to you from this point, you know, from the early, you mentioned Jennings and, and Dawkins. Was there anyone else, even of the vets that stood out to you as someone that could potentially make an impact that didn't this year based on the gains they've made, you know, maybe an offensive lineman that has started adding some weight. Uh, I know Anthony Wigan, obviously last year's strength was an issue. Uh, is there anyone that stood out to you from an offensive line standpoint that's now sort of getting rolling that they weren't before? You know, I don't think there's really anyone that we've already talked about that, that I haven't mentioned. Um, well, excuse me, that was worded badly. Uh, let me try again, John. Uh, <laughs> I think we mentioned everyone who had the biggest impact. If there's someone I, I didn't mention who, who maybe uh, you know I, I deserves a shout out. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there's a few here. Uh, Adisa Isaac is one guy, not because of what he lifted, but just the weight he's put on. Um, you know, again, this is a guy that you know Shaka Tony was already saying at the end of the season, future first round pick, mark it down. That's how confident his teammates are. You know that he's going to be something special. But he is now up to 257 pounds. That's 29 pounds more from when he arrived last summer. So that's a lot of weight in a short period of time. Uh, same thing with tight end Brenton Strange. He is now up to 246 pounds. And when he first joined the team, he was in the, the 207 to, to 208 pound range. So, you know, again, both of those guys contributed a little bit, but 
you know, Strange is the really interesting guy to me. I mean, again, we all know Isaac is, is primed for big things. Strange, um, you know, we're not so sure, but, you know, the fact that he was able to make those gains in such a short period of time, um, you know, has got to be a big boom. You know, other guys, uh, um, Caden Wallace and, and Fred Hansard, um, offensive lineman and defensive tackle, respectively, you know, they're both benching 400 pounds. And defensive tackle Hakeem Beeman, who, you know, I don't think we've ever mentioned, um, got 395 on the bench. So, you know, again, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, talented guys here. Dwight Galt is, is one of the best strength coaches in America. Um, he really is. When it comes to college football, um, there's not many more guys I would want, um, you know, ahead of Dwight Galt. So, you know, this is kind of, you know, par for him. But, you know, these are gains that, uh, you know, pretty unique you know, definitely pretty unique. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Isaac's one of those guys that you mentioned that you're right, he's primed for big things. And adding weight is sort of that next step for him into him becoming an every down, uh, every down rush end instead of just a guy that's, you know, going to be rushing the quarterback in passing situations. So the more, more he can get up to a, a real playing weight where he can sustain it on every down, I think that's important. Uh, of course, this testing took place at Penn State uh, today that, that you were able to see. This past weekend, we saw some more testing that uh, of some former Penn Staters at the NFL Combine, and uh, we got to see some guys run the 40. We didn't get to see the guy that I think we all wanted to see run the 40 and, and K.J. Hamler, uh, who, who stayed off the on-field drills because of a hamstring injury, and I believe only did the bench press because of that hamstring injury. But what, who, who were you watching from this past weekend in the NFL Combine? Who from Penn State impressed you the most? And was there anyone that you thought maybe took a step back in their stock because of the way they performed at the Combine? You know, it's, it's tricky. I guess let me start out by saying this. Like, Penn State fans have kind of been spoiled the last two years because the whole NFL combine, the main theme was Penn State, Penn State, Penn State. You couldn't hear enough about Penn State because everyone was blowing by. This, by standards set the last two years, was a boring combine. You had K.J. Hamler, who, who you know, ran a, a 4-2-7, according to Penn State's clock, in the 40, which would have put him – I think would have tied him for the fastest time at the uh, NFL combine, at least in terms of receivers. And, you know, that would have been absolutely incredible. Um, then you had Detour Grossmatos, who all of a sudden just scratched from the speed related exercises, the speed related drills, like the 40 last second. It didn't, it seemed like it caught NFL network off guard because you didn't even hear, you just saw his name and then it disappeared and there was no reasoning as to why or, or what happened. And obviously those are the two day one, day two guys that, you know, everyone wants to know about, and they didn't do a lot, um, you know, but uh, it, we did kind of have an impact from a lesser known player. Uh, so if you're telling me if there's someone who improved his stock the most, um, I'm going to have to go with cornerback John Reed. Um, you know, he, he ran in the four fours in his 40. Um, I can't remember some of the other areas, but he tested among the top five, top 10, I think his three cone drill was elite. I want to say it was first among cornerbacks. Uh, Deion Sanders commented on, on how smooth he was. And Yahoo Sports um, listed the winners and losers at the Combine. They came up with 18 winners. And John Reed was among those 18 guys. So, I mean, he might have been like the, the latest round pick who made that, um, you know, who made that list, which is, which is a little unusual. But I mean, we've seen, you know, John Reed uh, you know, he was injured two, three years ago. It was hard for him to come back. And, you know, he, we almost still see him trying to return to that form. He's absolutely a cerebral player. Um, you know, he, he is dedicated to film. I think he would be a great influence on the locker room. But the fact that he was able to post athletic numbers like he did, like the three cone, and even his 40, which was, which was great for him. I mean, I think that 
you know, before, if we were wondering if he was, you know, going to be drafted or not, you know, I think, I think, you know, maybe now, you know, being a fifth rounder certainly isn't out of the question. And, you know, maybe he even inches up a little bit more than that. I, I think, you know, he's a guy who's, who's worth paying attention to now. And, you know, that's the thing with Penn State. I, I don't mean to keep uh, going on and on and on, Saber. I'll, I'll let you have your, your moment in a second here. But I guess I would say that overwhelmingly Penn State did well here. It's just that there wasn't an attention-grabbing headline this year like, hey, you know, Deion Sanders is, you know, playfully joking about how white boy Troy Apke can run or – you know, oh my gosh, like Mike Gesicki is like beating all these weird combine records or, you know, all this crazy stuff. And I, I think we'll see more of that, you know, next year when, when Micah Parsons goes in and, you know, hey, you know, we'll see about, you know, where Jason always at. But yeah, I think still overwhelmingly, you know, it was good news for Penn State. And honestly, I, I don't know if anyone hurt themselves, John. I mean, you, you look at Cam Brown and, you know, he ran for his size. He's the tallest linebacker in the NFL combine. For his size, he ran well. You know, Yitor, while he did not run, the drills he did take part in, he was good. And the on-field exercises, he was good. K.J. Hamler gets an incomplete because he did nothing except the bench. And he was impressive in the bench, you know? So, I mean, you just go down the list. Robert Windsor, I mean, you know, he ran a 4.9. He was not very strong, but he was quick. He had that first, you know, that fast twitch. And his 10-yard split in the 40 was, was like a 1.74. That, that's terrific. That's great. So, I mean, you know, we look at each individual guy and, and John, I'm trying to go through it in my head. If you're asking me to pick a guy who hurt his draft stock, I, I don't think there is one. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, I, I, I don't think anyone, the only way you can come up come out of this saying that someone hurt their stock was, was, you know, either Hamler not running, which really doesn't matter. He's going to run at his pro day. Everyone knows he has the game speed. You can turn on the film and see it uh, or, or Yitor for also not running, which, again, is a pretty curious decision given that he participated in everything else. It could be a sign of a guy who didn't think he was going to run what he thought he was. Uh, I'm not yeah. going to speculate on that, but that, I think that's the conclusion that a lot of people will come to. Uh, so, you know, you're not going to speculate, but that <laughs> might be the reason. <laughs> just going well, well, to throw it out. If I had either. to pick one, yeah, if I had to pick one reason, that's the one I would guess. I mean, that, that did kind of come out of nowhere, but no, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I tease, I tease. Yeah, no, but you know, it's, it's one of those things you look at a guy who doesn't run and you always wonder, okay, why didn't you run? What happened? Was it injury? Did something happen that you weren't gonna, you know, you weren't going to do as well as you thought you were. Uh, but I still think like, like you mentioned it in your story on senderdaily.com and you know, in that day's paper about the combine, uh, gross Matos might've been helped by the fact that AJ Epineza tested really poorly. Uh, he yeah, just, that's he, very true. He wasn't as good. And that's a guy that's sort of in that same tier of defensive end of the draft and pretty similar players and if Etor is a better athlete than him that gives him an advantage it gives him more upside and when you're drafting in those high rounds you want to shoot for a little more upside maybe a little less safe uh, but you know a, a little more of a chance that he ends up being an all-pro guy whereas Epineza probably doesn't have that ceiling because he's not athletically gifted enough uh, to go back to John Reed real quick if you would have told me that he was faster in a 40-yard dash than C.D. Lamb I would have told you that you were insane C.D. Lamb of course being Oklahoma's star wide receiver probably the first, second, or third wide out off the board in this class, uh, electric in the open field, electric return man. If you'd have told me Reed was faster than that guy, I would have said that was crazy. So I think, you know, 449 isn't, you know, the top of the class for cornerbacks, but for John Reed, I yeah, think that's – about the middle. Yeah, but I think for Reed, that's as excellent as he could have run. Like you said, yeah. he's, a, he's a highly intelligent cornerback, uh, puts himself in good position. He's, he's a, sort of like a quarterback of a defense kind of uh, corner. And, you know, that's what you want out there. And if he's going to run that fast, that's a really good sign for his future. Durability, got to be a concern. He had the triangle tear in his knee a few years ago. 
which is always going to set guys back. So you don't know what's going to come of that. But as long as he's healthy, that's as promising as you can get. And with KJ Hamler, there was one measurement that I know people like to always laugh at, and they like to act like it doesn't matter for anything. But KJ Hamler's hands were decently sized. And that matters because, guys, you see wide receivers have smaller hands. They struggle to catch the ball. The, the ball gets into their body too much, and they can't just go out and snag it with their hands. Hamler's hands were big enough to show that, okay, this isn't a guy who's just going to try and body catch everything, get in the open field. He's an actual wide receiver who can run precise routes and who can catch the ball with his hands. He doesn't have to body catch everything. And that matters. I know people like to joke about it. Everyone liked to joke about Joe Burrow's hand size uh, because they were smaller than everyone anticipated. But hand size, I think, matters probably more for quarterback and wide receiver than any other position because a quarterback's got to be able to grip the ball to throw it, and a wide receiver's got to have big enough to hand, big enough hands to hold on to a football, especially in, in subpar weather conditions. So I think Hamler's hand size is actually a, a, of relevance here, and the fact that he has decent hands is, is a, a positive sign for him, and now he can go run whatever he wants to run at the at Penn State's pro day, uh, like you said, Henry Ruggs the third was the the highest time at uh, the combine with a four two seven. If Hamler can match that at the pro day, I think that's excellent for him. He's a different player than Ruggs is, but again, they're they're not too far off from each other. One in the first tier with Ruggs of wide receivers, Hamler probably in the second tier of wide receivers. Uh, if Hamler could creep up to the top end of that second tier, or even have you know such a dominant pro day that he ends up in the lower tier, the the top tier, uh, I, I think that would be an excellent side for him. But again, uh, like you said, no one really disappointed. And this is a really positive combine for Penn State, even if no one uh, you know, stood out like crazy. It matters that these guys continue to do what they're supposed to do because it means that the times that we were talking about earlier matter because they, they're more accurate than other programs release. Well, can we go back to Hamler Sands for a second? I mean, Absolutely. you know, I, 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 I've, I've heard that before. You know, I, I got to say, I did not pay close attention to that you know, at the NFL Combine. For the record, Hamler's hands, it was nine and three-eighths inches. So what is the cutoff? I mean, is it is it, if it was below nine inches, it would be problematic? You know, yeah. what, what is the, and you know where he ranked there? Other I think he was the shortest wide receiver there. He tied with someone else, but hands, I've got no idea. Yeah, so with hands, anything I think usually under nine and, and around nine is is where you don't want to be. Uh, Joe Burrow, I think, came in at exactly nine inch or somewhere around there, and and everyone was concerned. And and three eighths of an inch might not seem like a lot, but it matters. That's a it's a pretty big difference. Uh, he doesn't have massive hands. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head. Uh, usually nine and three eighths, I believe, is exactly average. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I believe nine and three eighths is exactly average, which. It's fine. Like that's for a guy that's that small, you just don't want him to have small hands. Uh, and if, as long as he doesn't have small hands, I think, like I said, that that that's going to be a good thing for him. But but yeah, it's uh, like you said, it's a it's a weird thing to talk about. Everyone likes to uh, to to point to it as the, oh, this is why the combine doesn't matter. Laugh all you want. Hand size can end up mattering. And uh, by the for what it's worth, nine and three eighths was the average of wide receivers at the combine this year. So he was literally exactly average. Which again. For a guy that's what five nine, like that is that is good. That is a like positive five sign. eight and some change. Yeah, yeah. If he's five nine, I'm six five, which is fine by me. We can both rule with that if we'd like. Uh, but yeah, Hamler's hand size will matter. I promise you, and scouts will care about that, even if fans don't. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Some inside baseball with John Sauber.
Yeah, you will never find someone who loves the Combine more than myself. Uh, I wasn't the one watching it for our job this weekend, but I was still watching it as much as I could <laughs> because it's I'm a junkie in that way with, uh, with football. But let's move on to something more pertinent to Penn State right now and our, the, the last thing we're going to talk about here, and that's James Franklin's contract, which was finally released this or last month, I can say now, because it is now March. It was released in February. We finally know the details. So, Josh... Give me your take. What do you think about James Franklin's new contract and his extension? Eh. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that's, that's not exactly a hot take, but that's my take, John. Eh. Which I can't remember what, what you asked me uh, two weeks ago, but I think that was my take too. But no, it was I mean, John Scott. I know exactly <laughs> what it was. So James Franklin's <laughs> contract and John Scott Jr. as a hire are both decidedly eh in Josh Moyer's mind. Notice yeah, well, 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 it's hard. I'll get off my soapbox in, in a second here, but but it's hard for us to, to fully grasp, you know, what's in James Franklin's contract simply because we didn't get all the details. You know, we we get what they provide to us. We get, you know, the the, the guaranteed compensation. We get the bonuses, the incentives, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know how much the the coach's salary, the assistant coach's salary pool is. We don't know how much the assistant coaches are making. We don't know what else was agreed to in terms of you know, facility upgrades or, or, or things like that, you know, those, those are all important. And in a lot of states, and, and pretty much every state, you do have to release that. Um, you don't, if you're a private university like Northwestern, Penn State is not a private university, but they have this weird public-private partnership deal. State they don't have, I believe, is the state. Uh, yeah, well, it's bullshit. It you know, let me repeat that. It is bullshit. Yes. You know, it's a complete lack of transparency that enough people don't care about because it doesn't just affect football and athletics. It spills over into everything. It doesn't keep leaders accountable in government and athletic departments, and it's ridiculous. There's no reason in this day and age that that should not be made public. You know, he is the highest paid public employee in Pennsylvania. With that, I think, come certain responsibilities from the university that among them include releasing the contract. You know, I, again, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox in a second here, but you have Pat Chambers where they said, hey, we'll release the contract in, in six months or whatever. You know, whoops, then they just didn't. You know, they're not held to account. It doesn't matter. Are they, are they paying them 100000 $10 million? I'm guessing it's not $10 million. But, you know, again, it would be nice to have these details. And I think, quite frankly, as a taxpayer in this state, where part of your money goes to, um, you know, these universities, you know, they, they still get government's, you know, help and subsidies they should be transparent in situations like this. And it bothers me greatly that more people don't care more about it. But now I'm off the soapbox. We can talk about the actual contract. Well, no, your, your point's an excellent one. Uh, people in the community are paying for some of that contract because they're paying uh, taxes to help fund the university. The university should absolutely have to release that information. It is inarguable. Uh, I don't think there's any way around that. There's absolutely no reason not to have, not that they aren't, legally mandated to release that information, uh, it's a cop-out. And it's a bad look. Uh, you know, you do not want to have any university or any higher institution uh, hiding information. And that's what this is. This is hiding information. There's no competitive advantage or disadvantage found out by well, this. There's, there there's, I think I think it's more about if, like Nike. How much is Nike paying, you know, Penn State? You know, maybe they can pay, you know, Penn State a little bit more. Or if people knew that, maybe they'd be trying. You know, I, I, I get it. But, but you know, just because of a competitive advantage or disadvantage, you know what, Penn State's athletic department brings in over $150 million a year. You know, if, if, if having it public costs them an extra hundred grand and stuff from Nike every year, well, you know, so damn what, 
you know, in my opinion, the transparency is more important. But, you know, I'm a journalist, you know, so I don't think that should be a very surprising opinion. But, yeah. Yeah, no, but it, even if it is, a, uh, you know, an, an advantage or disadvantage, you're absolutely right. That shouldn't be what prohibits them from releasing the information. This is an institution that receives taxpayer dollars. They should be held to account like everyone else, and they should have to release the information. Alas, they don't have to, and here we are with the limited details that we have. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me about all of this is the buyout uh, if James Franklin were to leave. If James Franklin were to leave after this coming season, it's $5 million. Every year after that, it drops $5 million. That's nothing. That is not a buyout. Yeah, uh, there yeah. is no school, no no NFL team. Nobody is going to be deterred by a $5 million buyout. And the year after that, a $4 million, it's even less so. And then in the final year of the extension in 2025, there's no buyout. Uh, I I can't believe that he that this this came out of this contract and good for him, you know, for getting that. But good for him, bad for Sandy Barber. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like some of the contracts she has, I mean, I I don't know. I, you know, and we kind of knew this was coming when she talked to reporters, you know, around the Cotton Bowl, and you know, people asked her about the buyout or how do you get Franklin to stop leaving, and her answer was, you know, she put on a smile and oh well, you know. We always want people to be interested. You can't control that. And that means he's doing something right because people are interested. We kind of all took that to mean, well, she's hinting that her buyout sucks. And it does. I mean, you know, like you said, $5 million, Yeah. I, I mean, listen, it, Franklin is getting paid this year, what? Maybe about $5.7 I want to say, you know, including the retention bonus. Uh, if you're willing to pay that type of salary every year, an extra $5 million on top, um, is not really going to deter you from from going after James Franklin. So, you know, I definitely think this was better for Franklin than it was for Barber. Um, you know, but, um, you know, that being said, if you take away the, the one added thing to this contract, John, that that wasn't there before was the fact that he has a, a $1 million um, life insurance, you know, loan that um, the, the, uh, the university takes care of. That, that was completely new. That's on top of everything. You take that away, and Franklin is actually making slightly less this year than he would have been under the old contract. You know, again, we, we don't know about, you know, some of the added perks, um, you know, or, you know, maybe his, his coach's, you know, salary pool doubled. We, we have no damn idea, you know, but, you know, ultimately this gives him a lot more stability. This gives him that extra, you know, million dollar life insurance, uh, you know, loan. And uh, he'll be making, you know, after this year, he'll be making bank. Um, he has a $300,000 retention bonus due at the end of the year, and every year um, after this, uh, it rises to $500,000. And again, his, his contract, I want to say after year, year two, um, his salary goes up about a quarter of a million dollars every year, um, subsequent year. So um, yeah, uh, he's doing pretty well. I think he can max out at about $6.7 this year, and I think in the last year of his contract, he'll be making at minimum uh, $7 million. Uh, which he could make up to $8 million with the million dollars in incentive. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we did get about, uh, you know, usually these contracts are many, many pages. Uh, they give us about a page and a half. Um, but based on that page and a half, uh, you know, that's what we can tell you. So, yeah. Yeah, and and the other thing about the buyout, too, is it's it's not just that James Franklin can leave for – almost no penalty. Like I said, any college program that really wants him, any that would be involved, any high level program can pay with that with ease. That's pocket change to an NFL team. It's literally nothing. Uh, it's not just that. It's that if the university were to want to fire Franklin, they would have to pay out the rest of his contract. That is, I mean, that well, is essentially, some, yeah, yeah. 
and and that is some impeccable negotiating on uh, on his part, his agent's part. Uh, just you know that that shows you the position Penn State was in. They either had they had to just give him what he wanted, uh, and I'm sure that they had to he had to make some concessions in other areas. But like you said, we'll never know because we don't get access to that information. Uh, as ridiculous as that is, but yeah, I, I think this this contract is a huge win for James Franklin. Uh, it's it's honestly a huge win for Penn State fans too because he is an excellent coach. That, you know, he's one of the winningest coaches in college football, even if he hasn't made the college football playoff yet. It's just it just feels like Penn State could have done a little bit better here from a from a financial standpoint, from an athletic department standpoint. Because when you give him this money, it takes away from other sports. Like there's that's it's not like there's extra money coming in. If you're giving if you're using money towards James Franklin, it's not going to other sports, and I think that can hurt the university in more ways than one. Yeah, and I will just say this though. I mean, if if you look at what he's making compared to other Big Ten coaches and other coaches in the nation. You know, if anything, he comes in a little bit under what he probably should be. You know, it's just the thing that bothers me isn't the fact that, you know, he's making, what is it, $38.2 million over six years? Uh, yeah, including the retention and the, the total guaranteed money. You know, it's just the fact that there isn't that, you know, transparency, that we can see some of the, you know, the ins and outs of this contract. But And that's yeah, not you know, his fault. That, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's not his fault. Uh, you know, but, you know, just looking at the contract and what we see, yeah, I agree that the buyout, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe if it was doubled, you know, 10 million, 8 million, 6 million, 4 million, you know, went down 2 million a year, you know, I'd feel differently, but yeah, I think, you know, Penn State, essentially, you know, we're, we're kind of in the same exact situation we were like two years ago where, Hey, in two years, you know, we could all see again, you know, James Franklin, that, you know, is, is getting visited by USC or Florida State or whoever. And, Hey, Franklin's thinking about leaving. Uh-oh, you better give him a raise, Andy. Like, you know, it's just rinse and repeat, and, you know, every other year. So, you know, maybe here in 2020, you know, we'll be safe. But, you know, hey, you know, Franklin makes a college football playoff appearance, um, you know, gets some escalations in his contract, and all of a sudden, you know, teams come calling after the 2021 season. I mean, it's – I mean, we, we, we've seen this replay over and over again, you know, and, and the thing is this contract isn't going to prevent anything, but – I guess, again, you know, we kind of saw that coming when Sandy said, you can't prevent this. Well, yes, you can with a good buyout. Um, but, yeah. On, on the bright side, if you're a Penn State fan, and it seems like USC plans on keeping Clay Houghton into perpetuity, uh, he, <laughs> he can literally do no wrong. He can be as mediocre as he would like, and it seems like USC's hell-bent on keeping him. So that's a positive, at least, if you're a Penn State fan. But like you said, this, this is not a, an, a great contract for Penn State, but I guess any contract that keeps him for at least an extra year is going to always be a good one. I'm not saying he's only going to be there for a year, but as long as you can have him as your head coach, you're going to be in a good position. And you're right, he's underpaid relative to other coaches. Uh, he probably deserves more than he makes. Uh, you would just think Penn State would do a little bit better of a job at the negotiating table here, but good for him. You know, he got everything, uh, or not everything he wanted, I'm sure, but he got plenty. Uh, he got, you know, money he deserves, and, you know, like we said, he deserves probably more than that. Uh, it, it seems like that he got, you know, the, the security that he wants with the job while also having the flexibility to do what he wants in life, and, you know, like I said, good for him. This is, he is, he's proven to be an excellent college football coach, and, and this is a, a, a positive for him and his family long-term uh, but yeah, I, I, no way around it. Not, not great for Penn state, but at this point that you don't really have anything to be concerned about probably for another two years, at least. Uh, so nothing to probably, worry about yeah, probably. And then at least, you yeah. know, like, yeah, it, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, I think this was, this is a good place to call it today. Uh, cover a lot, you know, it's, it's early March and somehow there's still plenty going on. Uh, uh, football is, is year round that never changes. 
but that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center spelled C-E-N-T-R-E, like the county we're in, Center County. Uh, you can also read, of course, uh, all of our high school coverage there and, and Lauren Muther and uh, Nate Cobbler's wrestling coverage there, which is also fantastic. That comes along with the sports podcast. You get my basketball coverage there, too. So it's not just football from us. We're covering all Penn State athletics, all the preps around the area. Uh, and of course, you can follow Josh and I on Twitter, specifically at, at by Josh Moyer for Josh and at John Sauber for myself. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.